So you guys ready? Ready to start? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's okay. I am Sean Doughty. I'm with the Dollar Bin Podcast. We have flyers up front. We are recording all of the panels. So if there are any that you missed, you can check us out and listen to them there. And it's a really good way to tell your friends about the awesome things that you got to hear and spread the word about SE Comic Con for next year. Great idea. All right. Okay, guys. Elevator pitch time. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys want to introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Cool. Uh, I guess I'll start. My name is Jeremy Dale. I do a book called Skyward, and here's what the books look like. These are volumes two, one and two of the, uh, the trades right here, as well as the exclusive cover they have for Skyward issue seven, which premieres right here at SCCon. Uh, and I did a special cover just for uh, Borderlands Comics. So that's me. And it's a creator-owned book about a group of people fending off the invasion of their homeland. It's an all-ages book, uh, action fantasy. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm Joey Weiser. Uh, I'm the author of a graphic novel series called Merman. Uh, it's published through Oni Press. These are early versions of it, made as mini-comics, uh, that have since then been collected as hardcover, full-color books. Uh, I'm also a frequent contributor to SpongeBob Comics, amongst other things. Cool. And uh, my name is uh, Andy Rutten, and I do a series called Owly, about a kind-hearted little owl and his best friend, who's a little worm, and they just go on little adventures and uh, have fun in the forest. And it's a series of graphic novels, and uh, I recently did a couple of uh, picture books as well, and they're full color. Okay, so this is the All Ages panel. So what, what does All Ages mean? What does it mean to you guys? For, for me, when... Um, it's funny, when I was trying to create comics for the first time, I wanted to have something that I would enjoy and that I could show to any member of my family and then, then they would enjoy. And that, to me, is what All Ages Comics is. You know, I think that uh, when I was growing up, pretty much all comics were all ages. Exactly. And uh, right. that's just the kind, and, you know, Bugs Bunny, you know, that was the kind of stuff I loved to watch. And, and and other people would like to watch it too, and uh, especially other members of the family. So that's to me what all ages means. So yeah, and you know, uh, especially in comic shops right now, uh, a random person that walks in, a new reader or whatever, or a kid with his mom, can't necessarily pick up you know Batman or Spider Man and give it to their kid and be confident that it's going to be the kind of book that they say would be appropriate for their kids. So when I was doing Skyward, yeah, absolutely, that was something that really uh, went into my mind. I wanted to. Uh, Create something that anybody could pick up and enjoy, regardless of age, not just for kids, but also something an adult would enjoy. Yeah, I think when I was starting to make uh, finished work for publication and things like that, I, I when I was working on my work, I didn't have an audience in mind. I was just kind of doing stuff that I liked to draw and things that was were fun to make. And I was being categorized by other people as someone who was making all ages or, or even just like kids comics. And it made sense to me. And, and so once I, I was sort of more aware of that, I maybe leaned more in that direction. Um, and, but it's just, yeah, it's for everyone. It's uh, something that I think is fun and hopefully other people do as well. Even within like the past, like say five years or so, I've noticed that there's been kind of a a switch from like kids comics, you know, kid like comics done specifically yeah. for like younger mm -hmm. readers to kind of like all age all ages. 
mm-hmm. comics. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and kind of like a push away from like the more kind of like adult comics, more or less. Do you guys have you guys seen that same kind of kind of thing? I think it was definitely a much darker time, mm-hmm. you know, in the '90s and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, it was, you'd walk in the store and it was just, it was all dark and, and uh, just looking through some comics just last night, I mean, it just reminded me, uh, oh, I forgot how dark <laughs> comics have gotten, you know, I mean, uh, literally, literally <laughs> dark and, you know, brooding and everything like that. And that's, that's okay. But um, I think that as comics tries to uh, recapture a lot of the people that used to read it, I think it's, uh, it's just a natural form. It's interesting though, because... Dealing with um, book publishers, they don't really see things as... Um, they see things very specifically targeted to different age groups. Yeah. And, you know, and we don't really think of that in comics. There's the older readers, I guess you would say, you know, the people that are in their 30s and stuff, and then there's the younger readers. Oh, man. No, I'm just saying... I'm, or 40s. I'm just saying... I'm just saying... Yeah. I'm just saying they're, they're not in, in a comic structure. store, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm almost 40. It's all right. <laughs> You know, but no, but I mean, that's, I mean, like, all right, so like younger readers would be like people in there, you know, lower than that. And then they have the, there used to be this little ghetto of like, uh, you know, uh, Disney comics Mm -hmm. that were just kind of thrown together. And there was, I don't, those never really appealed to me, but they were like only for little kids and little kids like little, really little little kids, kids. and they like, were written really down to the to that reading level but it wasn't yeah. like that when we were growing up oh, no, i mean no. all the comics you could read you know i mean and you you just jumped right into x-men and you just had mm-hmm. fun with it and mm-hmm. and it was cool and you could check out the old issues and all that and then somewhere along the line everything started getting darker i mean with watchmen and dark knight returns everything started getting darker and darker and then it, suddenly this little thing popped up just for kids and then the you know so i don't know it's uh it's, i go on sorry I, I think in the 80s and 90s there was a big push to say like hey we can make comics for adults we're serious yeah. and i think that was important and i think that comics for adults are great but there was a period of time where the idea of making comics for kids was sort of frowned upon because it was like right. oh, yeah. hey we're trying to do some good work here and make comics for grown-ups and it's like Kids should be able to read comics too. <laughs> you know, well, there was almost this embarrassment in the industry. You know, you're working in comics, and everybody wanted to legitimize it as, "Oh no, 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 no! You can read this as an adult. It's okay." To the point where I think they almost took it too far. Mm. And uh, when they did kids comics, uh, too often, like I was saying, they wrote it down to the kids, and kids mm. know better. Kids know when they're being talked down to. And they typically don't go for that when they go into a shop. They want to go over and pick up Spider-Man or Batman. Yeah, sure. Something that looks like it's for more than just them. Mm-hmm. It is kind of weird, though. I remember all the headlines, you know, like the, and it still happened, you know, uh, you know, bam, boom, you know, oh, snap, comics, pow, comics aren't just for kids anymore. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, whoa, comics are still for kids. And then, you know, so it's like, what? You know, but I think that all of us agree that comics can be inclusive and there's no reason to really categorize it in a different way, you know? And uh, I don't know, one of the coolest stores I ever went to uh, was... Um, Big Planet Comics in uh, in Maryland, and uh, they did some amazing stuff. This was years ago, but they didn't have anything like uh, they didn't have like the kids section or anything else. They just had all the comics together, and they only bought comics that were safe, relatively safe for everybody. And it was just a, such a it, and I was like, wow, this is what it should be like. I mean, just everything out there, but some of it is a little bit more serious. 
and some of it is a little bit crazier, but it was more like a library in that everything was just kind of mixed up. You don't know what you're going to find when you open that cover, you know, and I think somehow because there was so much dark stuff that parents wanted something that their kids could be safe with, but I think that that's not necessarily where we came from, and I think that's where the all-ages moniker came from, that it's safe for everybody, and it's it's not just kids because that meant really crappy stories and stuff, you know? Yeah, I think in recent years the comics world has sort of chilled out about that a little bit, and now there's kind of place for everyone. There's specifically kids' comics, specifically adults' comics, and then the sort of idea of all-ages comics with like comics like Bone and things like that kind of... Uh, showing that you could have comics that everyone enjoys. Yeah, I think it's also less of a stigma because I remember I was on an all-ages panel with Jeff Smith a long time ago, and he was upset yeah. that it was considered all-ages or for kids. He wanted it to, he was like, this is serious. And then after a while he realized, <laughs> okay, maybe I need to relax a little bit and not worry about it so much, you know. But it's funny because when somebody tells you you're doing stuff for kids, you're like, what? No, I'm legitimate. It's like, well, you could still be legitimate. Walt Disney's legitimate, you know? So Yeah, I mean, the Disney comics were some of the biggest selling comics in their day. Right. I mean, th- that didn't mean that they weren't good just right. because mm-hmm. they were all ages or for kids. Right. So did you guys think about kind of your target market or kind of new readers when you do your work? I, I honestly, just like Joey, I just did it for me. <laughs> I didn't because <laughs> I wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And, you know, and that's the other thing that's weird about the book market is they're like, who are you shooting for? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, me <laughs> and anybody else who likes owls, you know, and that was me. That's me, you know. And so I feel like if you write for yourself and you're excited about it, then that's good enough. You know, I think that when you try to target something, that's where I think some of those older comics would fall down and be like, well, let's not write too, too high for the kids. You know, let's yeah. keep it. Yeah. Let's keep it simple. You know, and I don't think that. And I think that's the same way with picture books and kids' books and, you know, regular books, you know. It, they, people just write what they want to write, and it finds its audience, you know. So. Yeah, first and foremost, uh, you know, when I was working on Skyward, uh, I had this weird opportunity where Marvel and DC were also approaching me at the same time to do work on some of their books. And at that point in my career, I was tired of doing, you know, the latest zombie or post-apocalyptic book. So I wanted to do something definitely that I wanted to read. And show them, you know, give them an idea, well, maybe I wanted to do something like this. Maybe you guys pitched more stuff like that to me, I'd be more open to it. So Skyward was was definitely uh, something that I wanted to do, first and foremost. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I kind of touched on that. I, I think that I'm now aware of an audience, but not like... Beholden. Yeah, right. So, I, you know, so if I, I think... Kind of when I was starting out, I, I kind of did a big variety of material. And now I still write the kinds of comics I like. But if I'm writing a Merman book and I kind of happen to come up with a joke or a line that's like got a swear word in it, it's like it's pretty easy to just take that out and make it fine for everyone to read, you know, and not, you know. Uh, so it, it's, it doesn't affect my work that much, but I'm, I'm aware of who I'm going to be primarily marketed towards, I suppose is one way to put it. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Oh, so along those lines, um, have any of you guys like thought of a story or kind of had something that maybe you wanted to do but then felt like, well, I, I don't know if I should go down that route, you know, because of 
kind of my I've previous had work. Stories or, that, I, but when I recons- when I really thought about them, it was like I had to be true to the character, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there was a story I had where Ali pushed these little birds. Like he was like, "That you can't have this nest. That these other birds are." The, it's like that's not. Ali would never do something like that. But I've never really. When I think about Ali, I never really have come up with something that I have. I felt limited by it. I think that 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 could happen to some people, but uh, that has not happened to me yet. So, uh, with Skyward, I'm building into a, a giant battle sequence. A big war is starting up in the series right now, and it's what I'm currently drawing on the drawing board right now, um, in between shows and signings. And I am definitely thinking about that because in war there are pe- people get hurt. Period. And I want to be honest to that while at the same time making it so that people can still read it or, you know, at least give it to a kid or feel like they can't because they're seeing somebody's head get cut off or something Mm -hmm. like that. So I'm very, very conscious all the time about, you know, uh, where do I want to draw that line and what does that mean to the book? Yeah, Merman is a, a, like an action comedy adventure story. So there is some fighting and stuff in it, but I just don't, it's not that important that it gets so violent that everyone can't read it. Like, I can convey the story itself, which is the important part. The core of the story is the emotions of the characters and what's important to all of them. And the level to which the violence escalates is not as important to me. Okay. So you guys want to talk about some of your influences? Like, specifically, um, Jeremy, reading Skyward, it, it definitely reminded me of um, Telos. You oh, know, absolutely. Todd Zago, Mike Ringo. Mm. Uh, I would say for Skyward specifically, Telos was a big influence. Uh, that That's easy to see. I mean, if you look at my work, I was a big fan of Mike's and his artwork. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Uh, but his work was amazing, especially on Telos. And things like Bone was, yeah. a, was a huge influence yeah. on me. You know, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, <laughs> the Miyazaki Studio Ghibli films. I love those, that kind of whimsical action fantasy base. I, I wanted to do something like that in comics, and I wasn't seeing a lot of that around. And so that's where I came from. Yeah, Bone was big for me. I For a long time, I thought that I was going to make comic strips. That was kind of my core interest um, growing up. And uh, I read, like, X-Men books and things like that, but I didn't really draw that way. And I kind of was like, well, that's not really the kind of thing I want to make. Uh, but I really enjoyed reading those uh, longer-form stories. And so when I found Bone and a few other sort of indie comics in the 90s like The Tick and some things like that I, I was like this is it this is I want to make long form stories but sort of in the tradition of like comic strips of sort of like fun funny comics you know yeah. uh, so Jeff Smith is huge for me like Charles Schultz and, and, and a lot of comic strips are big for me and then I'm also very interested in Japanese comics and um, Akira Toriyama who made mm-hmm. Dragon Ball and Dr. Slump and stuff is is was an early artist that I attached onto. There's an all-ages book he did called Koa uh, about a little vampire kid that's really great. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny. I did not ever read Bone when I was growing up. It was. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. It was like Bone. What is that? You know, the title alone it would just kind of freak me out. I just was like, I don't. It looks a little dark. I don't know. <laughs> so like, I actually never read it until I started. Uh, I started making comics, and I was going to meet Jeff Smith, and I was like, I better read this. You know? <laughs> so I sat down and read it one night, the whole big book. But um, 
for me, it was uh, it, it was um, peanuts and uh, and Calvin and Hobbes. That was the stuff that I loved growing up. And then when uh, I, I read G.I. Joe and Transformers when I was growing up as well. And uh, but I just could never draw that kind of stuff. And when um, the turtles came out, the original black and white turtles with the na- with their names, it was like Eastman and Lair. I was like, oh, wow, yeah. these two guys made this book. It like said like I was like oh my gosh like I could actually do this for some reason I know people would sign the the comic strips but I never really understood it was just one person doing it and so the turtles were huge for me and so that was the thing that like got me excited about doing comics and then I kind of got out of comics for a while what with the uh, all the image stuff was coming out and that was just not my thing and. Uh, there was a. I was reading X Men at the time, and there was this big crossover thing called Inferno in the '90s, and it was this big event, and you had to buy every Marvel comic to follow the story. <laughs> and I just read X Men and X Factor, and sometimes Excalibur, and I did not understand. It was like, if you want to find out what happens here, you got to buy <laughs> Thor and the Hulk and these other things. And I was like, I don't want to buy those comics, and so I just got sick of it. And uh, around. Um, after around the end of uh, was getting my master's degree in college, somebody brought in Hellboy, and I was like, "What is this?" You know, zero. I was studying design and how cool it looked, and it was just one guy, and I was like, "This is amazing." And so I got kind of back into comics, and around that time, Pokemon was actually big, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to buy some Pokemon comics, and they were all pretty bad, mm-hmm. except for the first couple ones were really <laughs> good. But then the Pokemon start talking. And it's not good. <laughs> because the cool thing about it was when they were quiet and just making little noises. And uh, it was a huge influence for me. And that's kind of where Allie grew out. It was, like, it was like, here is this, I want to make a comic that I want to read. It was like, I want it to be animals, but I want it to be fun and no words. And that, so it was like, I, ma- I ended up making the thing that I wanted to be able to buy at the store. So that was, those are my influences. So I'll ask one kind of last question, and then we'll open it up to the audience. Um, so let's talk about process. Um, when you guys do your stories, kind of how far out do you plan them? Um, do you kind of have this kind of overarching idea, or do you kind of just let it flow? You want to go first? Go ahead. Sure. Uh, Mervin, so I, I've done a variety of, sh- like, comics from, like, one page to, like, you know, 250-page graphic novels to, like, now I'm working on a book series, so it's going to be several books, and it's all different. Like, the short ones, I can just sort of, there's just based around a concept, and that's pretty easy to just write out, but, like, for the book series, uh, I just have, I work with a lot of outlines, 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 and outlines, and they just kind of whittle themselves down until they're specific, and so a lot of times I just have plot points that I know I need to get to, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Sometimes it stresses me out as I get closer to writing that book or whatever. But, like, I, you know, you can figure it out. And, um, yeah, it's kind of like a puzzle, you know. It's kind of like I want to have this happen. Even with the shorter comics, I think it would be funny if this happened. And it's like, well, how do you set that up? What is the payoff? You know, um, it's kind of like a game. It's fun. That's cool. Uh, you know, in my case, I know basically where I'm going. I have a general plot through issue 25. I'm, I'm currently drawing issue 9. Uh, but it, until it comes time for that actual issue, I know exactly what my goal is for that issue and w- certain bullet points about how I want to get there. 
But in general, I'll actually start out with loose plot, like you, you know, basically mm-hmm. still in my head. And then I'll just do bullet points and then do the, stor- the story's thumbnails and just draw it and then do the final script. Mm-hmm. And for me, it starts with a one little tiny idea. Um, so, so, like, for instance, in, the, in this story right here, this, um, The Time to Be Brave, there's a, there's a sequence where a little possum gets caught in a fence. And um, uh, there was, uh, at my mom's house, her neighbor has a cat that lives outside and it's horrible for the wildlife and everything like that. But it would actually sit underneath uh, their deck and, like, wait for the birds and, like, jump out at them. So we took some old fence and, like, put it underneath the neighbor's deck and, like, to keep the cat from being under there. And um, one night, my mom and I were outside, and we heard this strange noise. It was like this, and it was the fence being moved. And got a flashlight and looked out there, and there was this little possum, and his little leg had gotten caught in where the fence had, like, turned up. And so it was like, oh, goodness. And he just looked so pitiful. It was just that look, and he just didn't move at all when it came up to him, and I just bent the little metal down with some pliers, and he just wandered off. And that is the basis for this story, because so basically that little, that real thing where it's like, okay, what... If that happened to Owley, he would be so upset that he was trying to help the birds and then something bad happened and it was his fault and this little guy got hurt. And so I changed it around a little bit for the story, but that was the idea. And it's it's neat when I had I had another thing like that where there was a little tree and it got hurt. And so I combined those two ideas and kind of made it out. But I usually write out kind of a synopsis of what's going to happen, so I kind of know where I'm going. But then I just start drawing. Mm-hmm. Because if I, I tried to sit down and, like, summarize every page, and I got so bored with it that oh, I yeah. would fall asleep. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't tell stories by writing. I tell stories by drawing. So I just sit down and just start drawing them out. And then I go through and I weed it out until I have the whole story. And then I, I have it completely penciled out. And then I read it and see if it works good. And I give it to other people and read it see if they like it, and see if they can understand what happened. And then once that's good, then I know it's good, and I just I ink the whole thing. Yeah, so. I, I go from a pretty tight outline to the thumbnails to very rough sketches, because I feel like drawing, you get a lot of acting out of the characters that might not happen if you're yeah, just typing mm-hmm. page things one, Things happen that one. you don't even expect. Like, yeah. they'll be like, all of a sudden things will happen, and I'll be like, well, all right, so how did Wormy and Allie get there? What happened? Oh, okay, something needs to happen. And, you know, so things, it's funny. You set them on the stage and you tell them to do stuff and they'll start doing other things. And you're like, <laughs> oh, that, okay, well, then I need to figure, I, well, then I'll, okay, then you rewind and you give them something else and then they go the way you wanted them to and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I find the fewer steps I have between concept to completion, the better. Mm. It lets the characters live and breathe more in the environment that I wanted to put them in in the first place. But I also have to I have to show it to somebody to get their take on it because there's a lot of times what I'll do is I'll give it to my mom or my wife or other people and I'll watch them read the pencils sometimes and if they're reading it and then they get they look at something they're like what and they have to go back and something like that that's never a good sign for me I want it to be super clear yeah. what's happening because as a kid I always hated reading comics and be like where did that guy come from and then <laughs> you you realize he's not in panel anywhere and you're like that's yeah. not good. So yeah. I always make sure that it's consistent where people are. You always know where things are and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. 
But uh, because then once you get it all inked, that that's the hardest part for me is inking it because it just takes a long time. And the story's done and it's fun, but I don't want to find mistakes then. That's mm. not when I want to find mistakes. You have to imagine that you're explaining something to somebody who doesn't know anything about your story. Right. You know everything about it or close to and so you understand who these characters are and where they are and stuff. And but, why they did it. But you just have to, like, it's it's just like giving directions or something. It's just you have to imagine that somebody who's going to be reading this is not going to know everything that you know about it, and you won't be there to explain right. something, you know. It's basic interpersonal communication. Mm-hmm. You have a message you want to get across, mm-hmm. and we don't always think about it sometimes, that you have to explain why you were thinking that to mm-hmm. get to that message. Yeah, I mean, I, I come from a design background, and they would always say that if, if, if your design needs instructions, then you've failed mm-hmm. as a designer, mm-hmm. because it should be obvious what the person needs to do to turn on that blender or do whatever. And so it's important that your comic doesn't come with instructions, you know. You've got to just kind of give it to somebody and see what happens. And if you've done your job right, then it works and they read it. Yeah. But they'll also read it quicker that way too, which means, you know. But <laughs> in the same time, it's it's satisfying. Yeah, so. yeah. All right. Do we have any questions? Yeah. Um, when you're creating your stories... Did you alter your styles to work for the story, or did your style influence how you wrote the story? I I always say that the way I draw, like the art style, for a lot of, for most people that I know, not everyone, but I always say that art style is like handwriting. Like I just can't help but draw the way that I draw. Uh, in fact, I did uh, collaborate with some people on a mini comic uh, that's not so much for kids, and I did the cover because I was putting it together and I can't help it. The kit, the cover looks like a kid's comic (laughs) and uh, you know, it's it's just the way I draw. That's the way it comes out. Uh, It's so internalized uh, that it's just part of who I am, I guess. It's your DNA. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In my case, uh, I would say that from project to project, in some cases I alter little things. Like when I was on G.I. Joe, my style was, uh, I would say, much different in some ways. But it was still definitely me. It was still ve- definitely my style, uh, yeah, my DNA, my mm-hmm. identity, just with a little bit of a different paint job, I guess. Yeah, I think your style will evolve, but the, mm-hmm. the thing for me was that I had to... I wasn't really able to do comics until I was true to what I believed in. So I would, I love drawing cute things, but I didn't think as a kid that that was cool. So drawing guns and ninjas, that was cool. Your friends liked it. Everybody would like it. But I would secretly draw, you know, all the little uh, sidekicks in Disney and stuff like that. <laughs> and and um, for me, once I, like I was actually, one of my friends knew I wanted to do comics, so he wrote me a little script, and it was ninjas and street thugs, and there was this fight sequence. And when I got to the fight sequence... I couldn't draw it. I was literally couldn't draw it. I was like, why are these guys fighting? This doesn't make any sense. And he's like, no, that's the script. Just do it. I was like, I... So I literally stopped working on it and wrote a little Owly story. It was the first Owly story. But it was like, I was, it was so obvious to me that this was what I wanted to do and this was what I was trying to do. And so I think you've got to be true to what you do and the style that you want and the things that you love. And once you do that... It'll flow a lot easier. You know, if, it, if you're not happy with your style, you can change it. 
But in terms of the things you like, that's your whole life is led up to that. So, yeah. Anybody else? Any questions? You can ask us anything about process or publishing or just comics in general or anything. How do you guys contact publishers? Uh, have you had publishers seek you out for work, or do you have to, you know, be on your own? And I've, I think, uh, yeah, when you go to these conventions, uh, as much as we do, you just get to know the publishers, and it just kind of happened. I, for my current publisher, Oni, uh, for the Merman series, <laughs> um, what had happened was that I already knew a lot of the people at Oni just from uh, them visiting my college and also from uh, me seeing them at conventions and stuff. And I always, I make these mini comics, which are good to sell, but they're also good to hand out. And so I just always would hand out my new issue of whatever to every publisher I knew. It's like your resume. Um, yeah. That I w thought would be interested in it. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the Oni guys knew me, uh, weren't like super buds with me or anything, but then I had a friend who was uh, also a cartoonist, uh, Chris Schweitzer, and he was looking through, uh, I think, the, the art for the second issue of Merman as a mini-comic, and he was like, this looks really great. Let me forward it to... Uh, my public or my editor at Oni, and um, they took a look at it, and they already kind of knew me, and so there's that connection, you know. And then after a while, they agreed to to do it. But I think it's important to just sort of get like I think mini comics are great because I think it's great to like show people what your work would look like if it was bound and printed, um, and you were telling a whole story. And I think that they're great to just hand out to people and just give to people who you want to publish you. Yeah, I think the thing to remember about a publisher is that, so like it's going to cost, to publish a book, uh, like a graphic novel, it's going to cost probably about ten dollars to $15,000 for them to publish this book. And that's, they're going to have a lot of copies on hand and then they got to sell them. So that's a big risk for them, right? So any publisher, it's all about minimizing risk for them. Like so, I used to do the same thing. So this is actually one of my one of my mini comics that Sean has because she's she's so nice and she's been a fan. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, is that this is what I did, where I I put the story in here and I said, look, I'm serious about this. Well, how many pages have you done? Well, I've done uh, I've, I've got this whole story. It's 50 pages long and it's ready to go. And it's like I don't just have a resume. I don't just have mm -hmm. a few pages. I I have put the work in, and they know that. Okay, well if we go with this guy, if we publish him, then we know he's not going to flake out on us, you know? And so by doing all those mini comics and, and every time you saw them, you gave him something new, mm -hmm. you were showing to them that you were serious about this, mm -hmm. you know? And consistent. No, just not one issue. And, and that you were, you were like, I'm doing this mm -hmm. and they, if you want to come with me, that's fine. But either way, you're still going to be doing this, you know? So... Yeah, it's tough what to recommend to people because a lot of times, especially with the smaller publishers, they're not so interested in seeing pitches as a lot of times people already complete the work and then they're happy to publish that right. if they like it. But at the same time, it's hard to tell someone to go ahead and get started on a you know, yeah. thousand-page epic. 
uh, I think what's good is to start small, yeah, small, tell short stories, and then build your way up. In general, even with like the bigger publishers, getting your own stuff out there is easier and easier these days. With you know print-on-demand publishers, mm-hmm. where you can print anywhere from one copy to a thousand copies and still do it, you know, very well, without having to worry about a huge amount of money on your own end. Yeah. By putting those out, by self-publishing yourself, and then just sh- sitting at shows and giving handing those yeah, out. Yeah, but to if they, and if they don't sell, yeah, then you know you did something wrong. <laughs> because that's the point. Whether it's your sales or whether it's your product. Or, yeah, yeah it, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. But the whole point is that you're refining it. And um, we're not making a lot of money at this. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that we do because it's what we do. You know, but it's, it's uh, you know, the days of getting signed by a publisher and then you get checks in the mail. That just doesn't happen. You know, I mean, you have to sit at it and work at it. And you're telling stories and... You're doing your best, and like Joey said, you know, you start out with these little comics, and you ref- you're getting better as a storyteller because you're making these self-contained little things, and you don't realize that you're learning and growing all at the same time. You know. So. You have, you have any uh, other people that help you as far as producing your art? Uh, yeah. So I mean, we write, draw, Color. ink. Color everything ourselves. Yeah, my wife assists me on colors when we're in a deadline crunch. But <laughs> I, I farm out my colors to another artist or to another colorist that works in the industry uh, to help make deadlines. But starting out, that's but the thing. Off, yeah. yeah, I was doing yeah. it myself. Yeah. So one thing about comics versus animation is usually just one guy or a small team of guys. I mean, I have friends that are writers. But uh, in terms of getting into comics as a writer, it is tough oh, because really you've got to know somebody that's going to help you do the artwork. And not only that, I mean, these those mini comics. I mean, like, how long would you say each of those mini comics took you? Like a month or two? Something two like that. Yeah. So I mean, you're not getting paid for that. No. You know, so that's a two months worth of work, mm-hmm. and you're not getting paid for it. And trying to, you can convince yourself that that's worth it. But trying to convince other people that it's worth it and say, hey, help me spend two months of your time by making this comic that we're going to give away. It's mm-hmm. hard to convince somebody of that. And so, I do some writing for SpongeBob comics. Uh, occasionally I do the art as well, but I do more writing than, than both. Um, and in that circumstance, I'd already been making my own comics and the editors knew my work from me doing the whole package and what they were looking for were writers, and so that's what I got. But yeah, it's very hard to prove yourself as a writer uh, without any art to accompany it. Or even an artist without a story. It's, it's true. It's, yeah. it's hard. So, Like for me, I never thought I could write. Um, I didn't think I could write. That's why my friend wrote that script for me. And uh, then I realized I hated what he wrote, you know? And I was like, well, let me try something different, you know? And so that's what you can do. You can just try it and... If it's not that good, you can get better, or you can get somebody to help you. You know, it, but it's about sticking with it because it's a it's a process. Does he know he's responsible? You know that he does. I mention it. I mention it to him all the time. He has no he has no recollection. He, like he actually even told me one time he was like, "This is ridiculous what you're doing." And I'm like, you told me that I should stop this and grow up. And he was like, "I don't remember saying that." And I totally did. Uh, but he still works. At, we worked together at, uh, at Motorola. At, uh, we were doing cell phone designs and stuff like that. And he still does that stuff. And he's perfectly happy. He does his comics on the side. 
But uh, yeah, I think he still wants me to finish that story, and I was like, I can't. I gave him the, I gave him what I had, but it was pretty rough. So, I'm not, I'm not good at fight sequences. That's you the thing. There's find no somebody Alex fight ninjas. It's not really a good story. It's only like a four-page story, and I only got two pages in. And I was like, it's not really, you know. I, but that's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a lot of time, especially when you're starting out to draw these full pages. You spend all this time on character designs and everything, and then you never even see them in the frame. And it better be something you care about. Yeah, it's got. <laughs> when you care about it, it's a lot easier. When you care about it, it's a lot easier to do. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and like I said, so he still does it as a hobby. You know, he does comics on the side and does it as a hobby, and he's fine with that. But for me. I, I think that's the other part about this is that I think we all like to work by ourselves or be our own bosses. You know, I don't think, you know, it's hard for me to work with other people telling me what to draw. You know, I can do it m- sometimes, but like, you know. It's weird how much harder that is uh, just to, I don't know. Yeah, it's really strange. Uh, even when it's drawing stuff that I feel like I should be enjoying drawing, uh, mm-hmm. when it's not something that I've come up with myself it's more of a challenge I do I mean I do a lot of freelance illustration and stuff but like but illustration is different than comics yeah you it's know? true yeah it's shorter it takes a lot less time <laughs> yeah that's that's the other thing is that you know illustration I think that the people lose track of the fact that like like uh, I was just gonna try to pull up like you know so like when you're when you're coloring comics it's like you know this is it, what I did was basically for these kids books is I did comics but they're just broken up like a picture book, but it's one, two, three, four illustrations, and so every comic page has, you know, I just did a comic recently, and it had 12 panels per page, and it was like, that's 12 little pictures, so for a, for a three-page comic, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of stuff there, you know, a lot of drawings, and people do one drawing, and they're like, wow, that was hard, it's like, with comics, you just got to keep doing it, Yeah, you know, it's just, it, it adds up, but it's, it's, it's fun, and the, the thing that attracted me to comics is there was so much to learn. Because I was at a job doing design where I was doing logos and stuff. And after a while, you're just like, I got this. I'm just turning this stuff out. And they're like, can you make it green instead of blue? And you're like, yeah. Sure. <laughs> but, but it's not, you know, like with comics, there's production, there's marketing, and trying to, and storytelling, and trying to get these characters that people care about, and... And you really make a connection with people, too. I mean, and that's the thing that with with uh, other jobs, people don't... I think that's what's so great about conventions is that you meet people that are mm-hmm. actually reading your stuff. And, you know, it's a real energy, a real energy to it. So the comic that you mentioned earlier, that was the, the Exo Manowar story? Oh, yeah, the 12, 12 panels you, per little thing. There, did you yeah. write that, too? Or? I did. Okay. I did. So, like, it was funny, like, so... Um, so it's your fault that it had twelve panels. It, well, what happened was that they said, hey, "Andy, do you want to no do a one sympathy. page? Do you want to do a one page story in this Exo Man of War?" And I was number like, twenty five. Number twenty five coming out on Wednesday. I haven't seen it. I hope it prints good. <laughs> um, and I said, "Sure, I'll do one page story." And then I had this idea of like Owly, like stumbles upon the Exo Man of War armor and. And I normally wouldn't do something like that, but I have drawn these these guys at Valiant or big fans of Owly, and they have actually commissioned me to draw Owly in the armor a couple times. So I was like, I could draw it again. It's no big deal. And it was really fun, but then it turned into a much longer story. 
And so, honestly, it could have been a 10-page story, <laughs> but I crammed it into three pages. And why? because of that, it has a lot of little panels in it. But it was really fun to do, But that was the, the, because that was the story I had. Yeah. That's why it's that long. Yeah. That's so. funny. That's what you got to do sometimes. You got another question? <laughs> Here. <laughs> um, when you're starting out, did you have like any uh, long periods of frustration in trying to oh, find yeah. your way starting out now <laughs> <laughs> it happens <laughs> it's the artistic process when you're a creative person if you're comfortable with where you are you're not growing right and it's hard for people that aren't creative to realize that you're mm. always learning you're always learning like my wife's a teacher and when she gets home she just she shuts off she's not she's not thinking about teaching she's done with it she learns at school at school she's getting better but She's not always like looking on teaching websites, like what am I doing, and like teaching forums and stuff. That's what we do. We are always Every looking at stuff. Every moment of our lives. I mean, you still relax a little bit, but it is yeah. frustrating. The biggest issue is money mm-hmm. and the lack of money when you're starting out. So don't put that pressure on you. Because I had another job when I was starting and learning how to do this, and then I lost that job and I decided to do it full time, and it was still years before I was making money you know so it is very frustrating that way but you got to believe you got to believe in it you got to believe in what you're doing you know I mean I can't draw people very well at all so if I would have gone the anatomy route you know like trying to do that I would never so I realized that wasn't my strength and I found a way to tell stories without having to worry about that so be honest with yourself about your strengths and weaknesses and you know I can draw a pretty decent person now because I've been drawing a lot yeah. that's the one thing about you draw so, so much, much so much you get better you know and just try to learn one of the reasons why I decided to do a, a book series after I had had a couple graphic novels under my belt was that I was kind of tired of having to repitch myself every time I finished a project. And so I was like, oh, man, if I could just do a series, I'd have that set. And I could just spend a few years, like, just working on that. And it it's nice, but now I'm starting to get the itch. Like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to just do, like, 150, 200-page story and then be done with it? <laughs> so is yours a big, long arc? They're not self-contained? They're, they're, yeah, the first couple are relatively self-contained but lead into each other and then... The third book, which is coming out this fall, uh, (laughs) is kind of leading into a multi-book story arc. Wow. See, and all my books are self-contained. There there is some things that carry over into the next, like if Allie Hurts is water can, the next, there'll be a little patch on it and stuff like that. But that's it. There's no huge continuity because Mm -hmm. for me, I love, that's just what I love. I love self-contained books, you know, like all the Hellboy books, you can pick them up. And you can read them. They're mm-hmm. all self-contained. And that's what I love because and it goes back to that not knowing about that Inferno series. What happened? Where did this guy come from? And it says, see this other issue, see this other issue. I was like, no. I mean, they're trying to sell books, I understand. And that may be better if I had it as a series. Mm-hmm. But I just like making them self-contained. There's not as much pressure. Yeah. I You know, I think that like Hellboy is a good example of something that the books are self-contained. But if you do follow it... right it enhances the experience. And that's kind of 
something I'm trying to do. Uh, you know, Bone, like I pointed out, Bone was a huge influence on me. And so right. that's a big it's the same kind of thing. The first couple of books are relatively self-contained. You could pick up the great cow race or something and right, then, but then oh, yeah. and just but then enjoy it <laughs> but then when you're in books like six or so you really probably should have been reading all the way along you know that's a good way to think about it. that's cool yeah but yeah it's it can be very frustrating you just gotta that's the other thing is that you if you find other people that are doing it online especially now mm-hmm. you know and be careful how much you share your work online because there's a lot of people that will just tell you it's great no matter what, and you gotta you gotta just believe in yourself and try to, you know, it's not about t- it's not about drawing the best pictures. It's about telling a good story, you know. So try to focus on the story. Anything else? Anything else? I have a creative challenge for you. All right. About an owly fight scene. Yeah. See, I've <laughs> thought about that. I don't know if. That's a, I've, what it. What would happen? What would have to happen? And I Some don't know. Weird nightmare. It'd have to be a dream sequence. It would have it to be a dream be sequence. <laughs> I try I would, to keep him above violence or anything like that. So. I would not approve. No, that, that, it wouldn't <laughs> you feel just right. Modify that. It's like a flying kick. It is. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Has the worst reach. Yeah, the you could have to, I'm not going to send you my files. You would just cut them all off and put them together. Just, you had a question. Yeah. Uh, what's an average deadline? That schedule is something I don't think any, I don't have a schedule. It's a it's wildly fluctuates. If you want to be paid on a regular basis, you need to produce on a regular basis. I think Skyward. that's basically your schedule. <laughs> Skyward is a monthly series. Pay regular monthly. Uh, so I have to get a <laughs> So no matter what, Skyward's coming out monthly. Yeah, or, I mean, it's a little oh, late wow, right now see. because of Diamond's shipping all wrong. I, yeah. But, uh, our, our distributor. Diamond. But uh, so I'm at least aiming for three times quarterly. Mm-hmm. And that way I know that there are checks coming in. I'm still getting the work out there. It's building the audience. And so for me, yeah. But monthly. that's your schedule, see? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. That, that you is guys the have these fancy schmancy books. That is the biggest <laughs> thing is that there are schedules that are set by the publishers, but yeah. a lot of times you have to set your own schedule, oh, yeah. which is really tough, you know? Yeah, and you can talk to your publisher. That was kind of a, I wanted to have the third Merman book come out this year, but I didn't want it any later than September. Uh, you kind of get a feel for when is a good time to release books and things like that. And, and um and so they said, okay, but it has to be done by this time. And then that became my deadline. It's not like they came to me and said, all right, we need it by this time. It was kind of us talking together and deciding when the best time to release the book was. Whereas occasionally I am contacted by the editor at SpongeBob, which is a monthly book, and they're like, uh, we need something to fill in this issue that's going to come out in a couple months. So we need this like next week. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, well then that's the priority for that week is to finish that story. And you kind of have a few things, you might have a few things juggling and you kind of get an idea, but it's, it's hard because sometimes the things that are these immediate deadlines can make it. So the longer projects, which are often the more personal projects can be pushed Mm -hmm. back and back. And I try to not let those get away from me. It is hard. Uh, When I was working with, uh, this was with Simon Schuster, there was a whole company behind the book, and so like I would send stuff for approval, and it may take months for them to get back to me. Mm-hmm. But the deadline was still in place, so I couldn't really 
do much until I got heard from them. And so your time to do it gets pushed further and further, and it's scary. But, like, again, like with that, that Exo Manowar thing, they were like, do you want to do something? I was like, sure, you know, no problem. And then when they finally said, let's do it, I had two weeks to do it. So I had to, you know, and it was what I said. It was like a 10-page story, but I crammed it into three and I only had two weeks, and that was fine, but my little dog got sick during that time. And it was like, oh, so all of a sudden, I only had a week to work on this, and that, that's just what happens, you know? So. Yeah, but those book, the bigger book publishers have a pretty, have a much more kind of intense editorial process from what I've seen. I haven't worked directly with my comics with them, but my wife and I do some freelance coloring for some, and we do a book that, yeah, that's published by a big publisher, and, and a lot of times there's this sort of extended period where it's being edited and revised, and then suddenly it's like we have just a couple months for the art, both the artist to draw it and for us to color it, and it's just sort of this like once or twice time a year when it's like we've just got to roll up our sleeves and be like, all right, they need this book in six weeks. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's a it's a balancing act. But a lot of it is self directed. That is the biggest thing is self balancing all of these deadlines and what's important to you, and then add conventions into that mix and and uh, putting in lead time for for printing and stuff like that. And it's it's it can get kind of crazy. There's a lot of people out there who want to make comics, and so publishers, you know, they they publish what they want, but they also have a lot of projects at once and so it's kind of up to you to determine that you're going to be the one to make your book come out on at at a time when you want it to come out and the publisher you know has several projects that they're they've got lots of things lined up and so your book may or may not be a huge priority but they they still want it to come out obviously <laughs> or they wouldn't have agreed to do it but like it's up to you to be like to finish it. It takes a lot of self-determination to, to, to do this stuff. Yeah. I think that is the biggest thing about comics that is different from any other thing I've done is that you can't just do one big push for a couple days and get it done. It's mm -hmm. just not going to happen. There's no way I can actually physically draw and ink more than, at this rate, honestly, three pages a day. That's as fast as I can go. It's three, page, three full alley pages a day. So it doesn't matter if I, I'm up all night. I'll still only get maybe three and a half pages done. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, I only get two pages done because I stayed up too late. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> when you're trying to schedule it, it's like, you know, with most projects, like even if you waited till the last minute, you could write your paper in one night. You just can't do that with comics. There's just too much work that has mm -hmm. to be done. And if you care about it especially, it's really hard to rush through stuff. And so the more you care, the longer it takes and... You really have to be good at scheduling, and it's yeah. it's really tough. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very disciplined thing, and it's and but it's also hard time, to do it yeah. every day to get up. Like there was a time when I was in a big crunch, and it's like every day. So every day I said, okay, I can ink four pages a day, but every day I'd only get three done. So every day I would fall one more behind, and before you know it, the days are creeping on, and it's like you're working every day and you haven't stopped, and there's no weekends and. Mm -hmm. That's just our life, you know. Weekends yeah. don't really matter. <laughs> a lot of the time, I'm like, "What day of the week is it?" You know. And I have a, <laughs> I have a separate little calendar by my desk that's just uh, goals for the week. I kind of, I, I work a lot better looking at that's things a in idea. a small picture rather than a big picture. Rather than saying, 
I want to draw a um, 100 page book in 100 days, it's a lot easier for me to say, this week I'm going to get five pages done or seven pages or whatever your deadline is. And um, I have my own, like, you know, our at our house there's a big calendar with all of us sort of like doctor's appointments or whatever on it. But I have one that's just all it is is deadlines and goals for the week. And it keeps me kind of on top of things. If I didn't quite make it, then I know the next week I need to add those two pages I missed to my other goal and just really cram or whatever. That's a good idea. Yeah. See, we're all just trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, and then life yeah. happens. And, yeah, it yeah. doesn't always fit into that. But, and so sometimes yeah. it's more like a guilt calendar than anything else. <laughs> so. I, like, I like small goals. We never get paid enough, right? That's most of the time. I mean, uh, depending, the thing is, is that a lot of times publishers, if a publisher contacts you, they'll have a rate. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to negotiate it, you know? And uh, that's, that makes it nice because it's, but sometimes, it, a lot of times it's really low. And you have to think about it and go, is it worth it for me to do this or not worth it for me to do this but once you do it a lot you realize how much you sp you can spend a lot of time on yourself and it doesn't cost anything but you can't do it hourly i don't know it's yeah. it's tough yeah when you break things down hourly it just is depressing but like, <laughs> it's depressing but like I think an important thing to do is be realistic about how much you can accomplish right. in a set time. And so if a publisher says, how many pages can you get done a month, it's a lot better for everyone if you just realistically tell them how many pages you can do rather than shoot high in hopes of pleasing them and getting the job. Yeah. Uh, because they'll be more upset when you don't reach those deadlines than if... They, you know, they'll be understanding. It takes a long time to make this stuff. And if you're a fast artist, it may be better to actually downplay how many pages you can mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Because then they'll just give you the bad jobs that uh, they need done super fast, mm -hmm. or they expect mm -hmm. you to perform even higher or even faster. Mm -hmm. in, in my case, on GI Joe, there was a point where I had to do three and a half books in three weeks, and it nearly killed me. My health mm -hmm. was terrible yeah. Oh, yeah. for a long time after that, and I had to quit because they said, we need you to pencil, pencil even faster on this book. I said, I, I got to quit, guys. I'm sorry. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah so you, you tell be them honest. a page a day. I mean, do a page a day, at least mm -hmm. that. And that's for, like, Marvel and DC. Tell them that. That's all you need to tell them. Yeah. Yeah, being honest about it. I used to, somebody used to say, how long will this take? I'd be like, well, it'll take me about a week. And I was thinking of doing nothing else but that. Yeah, right. You know, and but they would hear, oh, you can get it done in a week. You know, yeah. and so I had to say, well, it'll take about a month to get it done because by the time I juggle all this and I realize we've got to do feedback and all that stuff. But being re being realistic and honest is so much better. I actually learned this because I would always be late everywhere when somebody would be meeting. And when I met my wife, she is incredibly. That was very important to her that if I say I'm going to be there at 8, that I'm there at 8. And it, I really let her down a couple times. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to have to be realistic. And so what would happen is I would say I'm going to be there at 8 because I didn't want her to get upset. But then I'd get there at 8.30 and then she'd be upset. So I was just putting it off. <laughs> you know. So the whole point is it's better to say, 
I'll be there at 9. And then get there at 8.45. You know, it's just better to do that. And it's better to do that with these things, too, is understand how far away you are. You know, for me, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm an hour away, so I'm not going to be there sooner than that. So same thing with working. Once you know how fast you can work, um, because nobody's going to come and help you. You're all alone. You if know? you give them... The, if you... Yeah, I've never had an an instance where I say it'll take this long and then they just say, well, then we're going to take this job somewhere else. Uh, a lot of times they'll say, well, we actually need it by this time and then I figure out if I can, I move things around or whatever and make it work if, if it realistically can work. But um, it's kind of a thing I've had to be a little easier on myself and kind of less worried that like if I'm talking with someone who has a history of working with me, that they're happy with working no, with me. No, they're not going to like you. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to like you if you say it's going to take longer. And you better not charge them anything because they're not going to like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh, I can do that for free, sure. Yeah, sure, no charge. But yeah, when it comes to cost, I mean, that's the thing. is You've got to figure out how much your time is worth. What is the job worth? Is it even worth it for me to do this? And, so, and you've got to not be afraid to say no, you know? Yeah. Because there is no going rate for a lot of these things. Somebody will be like, oh, well, uh, I've, had, I've actually had certain publishers contact me and go, well, somebody else has already agreed to do this, and they're only getting $100 a page. I'm like, well, it's really not worth it for me to give you three days of work for $100. It's just not worth it. That's how much it's going to take me to write this, draw it, color it, ink it, get it all done. Three, do three days a page, $100, you know, that's, uh, you know, I'm not going to be making that much money on this. So you just got to price it out that way. Know how fast you work and be realistic. What tools do you use to get Because you guys have so experience already. What would you recommend that you do with publisher or whatever that wants you to do work? Produce good work. Be friendly. Yeah. <laughs> do shows. I find that growing your audience organically by doing shows helps out a tremendous amount. Again, the shows, going to the shows proves that you're committed to it. You're not just sitting at home online, which a lot of people do. Unfortunately, this is just a very low-tech business in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And because we deal in books and people like to feel it in their hands and, you know, it's just... You don't like to think that things happen because of who you know or whatever, and it's not completely that way, but it helps to already have a relationship with people. Yeah, they've met you, they've mm -hmm. talked with you, they know you're you're good, and you did work for somebody else, and you came through with that one, so... Yeah, they talk amongst each other, too. They do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate everybody coming. We yeah, appreciate you guys. Thanks for all the guys. questions and everything, yeah. you guys. You were great. You can visit Jeremy Dale at 520. Andy Run at 327 and Joey Wiser at 427. Um, do you guys have any projects you'd like to promote before we head out? Merman Volume 3 is in this month's previews, so you can tell your comic shop you want it. Uh, it's coming out this fall. I think end of August, early September is what we're shooting for. And um, that's the biggest thing. Look for me in SpongeBob Comics. <laughs> <laughs> Skyward Ongoing Series comes out mostly monthly. Uh, issue sevens in stores this week, and here at the show we have an early copies at my booth or at uh, Borderlands, who has an exclusive cover. 
and I'm working on the current Owly graphic novel, and there'll be that little Owly Exo story in Exo Man of War number 25 out Wednesday. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. This is where we applaud for us. It was good. (laughs) Everybody applaud. Good job, everybody.